Of all the tragedies written by Shakespeare, of all the heartbreaking scenes and acts that he has written, perhaps the most famous uh, comes in Shakespeare's adaptation of the life of Julius Caesar. There's that moment in the story when Caesar is attacked by a group of conspirators who are planning to assassinate him, and he's stabbed multiple times in his back. And the climactic moment of this is he's been stabbed, and now he's bleeding out, and he's laying on the ground, and he turns his head to see who the people are that, have kill, that are killing him. And the saddest part of the whole, the, that whole scene is when he looks, and he turns, and he sees his friend Brutus. He sees Brutus, his protege, his best friend, and he sees Brutus with a knife in his hand. And if you've ever seen an adaptation of this play, you know that the the pain of that moment, a good actor who plays Caesar in this moment, the pain that they show is not that they're grimacing from a stab wound. The greatest pain in that scene is the look on Caesar's face when he sees his friend Brutus holding a bloody knife. And he turns to him and he says, Et tu, Brute? Which means, and you, Brutus? You see, as painful as being fatally attacked was for Caesar, it wasn't the stab wound that hurt Caesar the most in his final moments. It was the hurt caused by the betrayal of a friend. And hurt, often caused by a betrayal of some sort, is perhaps, many of you know this very acutely and very awarely, That hurt is perhaps the most painful emotion that any human can experience. It's the type of thing, type of pain that sticks with us the longest, often a lifetime. Hurt comes in many forms. Maybe it's the sting of rejected love. Maybe it's abandonment of a friend, a rebellious or a wayward child, a cutthroat coworker. Everybody knows that. An unfaithful spouse, a gossiping friend, maybe bullying. Maybe a racial slur or you've been racially profiled or maybe you've been abused by someone that you were supposed to be able to trust. Maybe sexually or emotionally or physically. And think of the phrases and the metaphors that we use to describe betrayal and hurt. I was wounded, we say. It was like a spear in my chest. I was crushed. The rug was pulled out from under me. I was stabbed in the back. It was a blow to the gut. I was blindsided or it tore me to pieces. Or you broke my heart. And we hear the phrase you broke my heart in sappy love songs all the time that we sometimes lose the weight of what that phrase actually means. The heart, the seat of your emotions, the very place where your emotions and your being rests has been broken, it's been shattered by hurt and betrayal of some sort. And many of you know what hurt feels like in your life. And as we continue in our study of the Psalms, I want you to see that the Bible is familiar with the emotion of hurt. You're not alone. King David, once again, knew what it was like to be betrayed many times in his life. And he knew what it was like to feel hurt, and he knew what it was like to feel wounded. And so before we even get into our Psalm today, I just want you to know that if you've been hurt, You're not alone. You're not alone. Anne Lamott, uh, a famous author, she says, it's okay to realize that you're crazy and very damaged because all the best people are. Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes said that there's nothing new under the sun. 
So whatever you feel, there are people who have gone before you who have felt the same thing. And David is one of them. And look what he says in Psalm 41. He says, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the days of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He, call, he is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. And before David even goes into the sin that's been committed against him, David lists his own sin and failure. He recognizes that even though he's experienced betrayal, he knows he's often probably guilty of it as well, of betraying others. And he, he, he asks the Lord to forgive him. But now he describes the pain he's experienced at the hands of his enemies. He says, My enemies say of me in malice, When is he going to die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say, a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise against from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, the one who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. David says, even my close friend, the one who's been in my home, who's eaten at my table, who's eaten my food, he's hurt me. The one that was close to me. But he says, but O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this, I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout and triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. First thing I want you to see this morning is just the deep pain of betrayal. I want you to see the pain that is caused to David by the betrayal of his friends. Verse 5, he says, people have said one thing to his face, but another thing behind his back. How many of you have been there? Verse 6, he says, people are spreading news about him that puts him in the worst possible light. How many of you have been there? Verse 7, he says, There's, I've got people all around me that they assume the worst possible motives for everything I do. We've all been there. See, betrayal comes in many forms, and it always, always, always hurts deeply. And what David tells us is that the closer you are to a person, the deeper those wounds hurt when they cut you. Even my close friend in whom I trusted. In Psalm 55, David says, For it is not an enemy who taunts me, if that were so, I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me. If it was that, I could hide from it. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. David says the greatest pain that it is caused by those that are closest to you. Whether it's your friends or parents or siblings or children or spouses or those in authority over you. See, the pain of betrayal, the depth of hurt caused by someone that you love or someone that you should trust feels like violence to the soul, doesn't it? You broke my heart. That's a violent metaphor. It feels like our souls have been attacked. Et tu, Brute. So the question that we ask then is if we've been hurt, and we've all probably been hurt at some point, what's the way forward? What's the way forward when you've been hurt? See, some of us carry scars and wounds from the past that have been caused by others. 
And so what's the path forward? See, some of the paths we typically take aren't that healthy. And I'm not a counselor, so I'm speaking as a Bible teacher, not as a licensed counselor. But one of the things we often do, the paths we often take, is we deny it. I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. It didn't hurt. I'm cool. I'll brush it off. Or sometimes we mask it. We mask the hurt. We numb it with entertainment or substances or busyness. Other times we defend against it by putting up walls or we become cynical. We avoid relationships or we become vengeful. We want to pay somebody back. And all of these things, whether it's putting up walls, whether it's taking revenge into our own hands, whether it's numbing it with entertainment, or whether it's denying it and acting as if you're not actually hurt, all of these things result in lowered expectations in your relationships. You begin to expect people to hurt you, so you start to keep a distance and you become less vulnerable. Sometimes it results in toxic shame. You begin to believe the hurt that was caused to you was deserved. And you begin to become down on yourself and you become depressed, which is turning inward and hurting and betraying your own self. Other times it results in bitterness or resentment. And none of these are healthy paths to take when you've been hurt. Because they require that you hold on to your hurt. They require that you make it part of your identity. I am what has been done to me. And you refuse to let it go and you let the hurt, you let the sin of someone else shape you, your relationship with others, your relationship with yourself, and even your relationship with God. So the question is, well, what steps can we take to heal from our hurt? The first is that you've got to admit that you've been hurt. You just got to admit it. This is why at AA or at Celebrate Recovery, the very first thing you say when you introduce yourself is, my name is Will, and I've been hurt. See, when you go to the doctor for a particular issue, what's the first thing the doctor asks? Where does it hurt? Where is the pain located? What does it feel like? Is it constant? Does it only hurt when pressure is applied? See, if the doctor is going to help in any way, the doctor, in order to develop a proper prognosis, requires that the patient be honest. If a doctor is going to help you, you've got to be honest about where it hurts, that it hurts, and how it hurts. See, several years ago, and I've been in many situations where I've been hurt, but several years ago I was in a situation where I was just blindsided by a close friend. And some things were said about me, accusations were made that were just hurtful, and it was, it was just hard. And I'm from the South, and we were, men in the South are taught to be tough. No, I didn't hurt, I'm fine. Like, ugh. like, and you just man up, and you just act like it didn't hurt you. And that was me, I was like, I'm fine. A year goes by, and I see a counselor uh, often, which I recommend everyone do. But months later, actually a year later, my counselor, he sensed that I was carrying pain, even though I was telling him like, hey, everything's fine. Everything's good. Marriage is great. Kids are fine. I'm telling him everything's fine. But he noticed, he said, well, I I just sense the way you talk about your relationships, you're walling yourself off from other people. He said, well, I, I sense that you're holding on to bitterness in your heart. You're carrying shame. And he asked me point blank. He said, Will, is there something you're not telling me? Is there a wound somewhere that has been caused to you that causes you to be so timid and isolated? And in that moment, I remember just breaking down and just letting it, I mean, just telling him everything. And I began to realize just how much pain has, how much betrayal or how much hurt can shape you and shape me and just how how easy it is to hold on to those things. And it can affect your relationship with your friends, can reflect your relationship with your spouse, yourself, or even God. And it took a counselor asking me, Will, where does it hurt? 
for me to admit that I was experiencing pain. Because as a man sometimes, as a type A driven kind of guy, it's easy for me to just be like, I'm tough, I don't have any pain, I can do this. But I was asked, where does it hurt? And healing couldn't start until I admitted that I was in pain. And some of you are carrying around scars from your past, and you cannot move forward until you first admit how much they're hurting you. You can't. And once you've admitted it, then there are many other steps, but um, one of the steps that you must then begin to take is letting go of the bitterness and letting go of resentment, and that often looks like forgiveness. And last week we talked about anger, and anger is rooted in our own sin, right? And the path forward then, if it's rooted in your own sin, is repentance. But if you've been hurt by someone else's sin, the path forward then is forgiveness. C.S. Lewis wisely noted one time, he said, Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they themselves have something to forgive. (laughs) Because when you've got something to forgive, you realize just how painful it is, how hard it is to let go of what's been done to you. See, anyone who's been deeply hurt knows just how hard and difficult it is to forgive. Because your pain is, it's real. The wounds are real. You have emotional scars. And forgiveness means that you have to let go of that. And sometimes letting go of your pain feels like you're letting the person who hurt you off the hook. And when I think about forgiveness and how hard it can be, I think about what's going on in our culture right now with the Me Too movement. You look around, all that's happening is every week it's a new person being just brought down by scandal after scandal after scandal. Women and men coming forward from all walks of life, all industries, and they're opening up about the sexual harassment and the abuse that they've experienced at the hands of powerful men. Men that were supposed to help them, men that were supposed to guide them, be there for them. And you read these stories and they're just like heartbreaking. Louis C.K., Kevin Spacey, Harvey Weinstein. You're like, forgive them? How could anyone forgive them after all they've done? It's too painful. It's painful for me to just read the stories. I can't imagine living it. There are serial predators that have caused massive amounts of harm. And to ask someone to forgive that, seriously? See, we often think forgiveness is letting people off the hook like it's being weak. But ask yourself, where does it hurt? Sometimes the pain of carrying your hurt with you does so much damage to you that the process of forgiveness is the process of healing of your own heart. Corrie ten Boom, who lived through the Holocaust, she said to forgive is to set a prisoner free, and that prisoner is you. Nelson Mandela, who went through unfathomable betrayal. He says, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. And I'm hesitant to quote Bono here because I don't know if he belongs in the same paragraph as Nelson Mandela and Corey Ten Boom. But Bono said, forgiveness is to refuse to subdue a monster by becoming one yourself. In the prevalence of all the Me Too scandals, the one that has probably grieved me the most and I'm probably, probably you as well, is the Larry Nasser situation. Larry Nasser was the physician and trainer for the U.S. Olympic gymnastics team. And in that position, he was given medical access to hundreds of underage girls, some as young as six. And he used that position to molest and to harm hundreds of underage girls for over 20 years. 
And last week, Nasser's sentencing was uh, scheduled, and for several days, the judge allowed many of the victims to come and to address him in the courtroom. And one by one, each of these girls came forward with stories of resilience, of overcoming the pain that he had caused them. You did this to me, but I'm overcoming it. And all those stories, as they were honest and they laid bare all that had been done to them, but then they talked about how they were healing. They were both heartbreaking and inspiring at the same time. But there's one testimony that for me just stood out above them all. And that was from a girl named Rachel Den Hollander. She's the one who actually broke the case. She was the first one to publicly uh, bring to light his crimes. In fact, she brought them to light many years ago, but constantly she was told that, to shut up, essentially. But she continued to seek justice. And she stood up. The judge kind of gave her the last word. And she stood up. And for 40 minutes, she told Nasser. She looked him in the eye. And she, she told of how he began to groom her and abuse her when she was just a child. And she talked about all the pain that he caused her. The emotional scars that she still carries today that affect her marriage. How she views herself. And she was one of the first people, like I said, to come forward with accusations. And at the time, nobody believed her. And she carried the pain of that as well. Organizations that were supposed to protect her were covering up her crime, uh, the crimes that had been committed against her. And she looked up at the judge and she recommended, I believe rightfully, that Nasser should receive the maximum punishment for his crimes, which is multiple lifetimes. And she asked the judge, she said, how much is a little girl's life worth? She asked for justice. But near the end of her speech, she then said this, and this just blew me away. She said to him, You have become a man ruled by selfish and perverted desires. A man defined by his daily choices repeatedly to feed that selfishness and perversion. You chose to pursue your wickedness no matter what it cost others. And the opposite of what you have done is for me to choose to love sacrificially no matter what it costs me. In our early hearings, you brought the Bible into the courtroom. And you have spoken of praying for forgiveness. And so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. Larry, if you have read the Bible you carry, you know the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to love this way. You spoke of praying for forgiveness. But Larry, if you read the Bible you carry, you know that forgiveness does not come from doing good things, as if good deeds could ever erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done in all of its utter depravity and horror, without mitigation, without excuse, and without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. If the Bible you carry says it is better for a stone to be thrown around your neck and you to be thrown into a lake of fire than for you to make even one child stumble, and you have damaged hundreds. The Bible you speak... The Bible you carry speaks, speaks, the Bible you speak carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. Now listen to this. And that 
is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there even for you. I pray that you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. That is Christian maturity on display. Den Hollander, she didn't minimize the hurt that he caused. Many people, we often think that forgiveness is letting people off the hook. She spoke with a very great self-awareness of just how much his crimes had affected her and others and continued to affect her and others. She didn't minimize the severity of what he had done. She asked that the judge impose the maximum sentence because she knew that that's what was just. But then when she turned her attention to the gospel... She was able to express all those things truthfully and then offer forgiveness, not on the basis of her strength, but on the basis of the gospel of Jesus. See, forgiveness doesn't mean you have to minimize the hurt that has been caused to you. In fact, if it's true forgiveness, you've got to first fully recognize how much you've been hurt to fully understand the weight of what it means to forgive that person. Forgiveness is being honest about the pain and then choosing to forgive because you don't have the emotional capacity to hold on to it any longer. In an interview with Christianity Today, after the, uh, earlier this week, Den Hollander was asked, what does it mean that you forgive Larry Nasser?" She said, it means that I trust in God's justice and I release bitterness and anger and a desire for personal vengeance. It does not mean that I minimize or mitigate or excuse what he has done. It does not mean that I, I pursue justice on earth any less zealously. It simply means that I release personal vengeance against him and that I trust God's justice. Whether he chooses to meet that out purely, eternally, or both in heaven and on earth. And while I'm sure that Den Hollander is still carrying infinite number of scars and she has a long road of healing ahead I'm sure but she has placed her hurt and her resentment and her bitterness into God's hands and when you're able excuse me to do that you can then trust that God will begin the process of healing so that is a small example some small steps you can take if you've been hurt but then the question is asked what's the way forward when I've hurt others because as I read this passage, I'm like, um, I've been the one that's hurt people before. And if you've been hurt, admitting your pain and finding the strength to offer forgiveness, those are the first steps toward healing. But when you're in a position where you've caused the hurt, I know that for me, some of the deepest pain I've ever experienced has not been when people have hurt me. It's, but it's when I've realized that I've hurt others. David even recognized he was guilty of this. He says, O oh Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I've sinned against you. So how do you heal from the pain that you experience of hurting others? The first is repentance. If you've hurt someone, just like David expressed, you have to realize first and foremost that you have sinned against God by wounding one of his children, by wounding someone that he loves. 
And you must admit the full weight of what you've done, and you must lay it bare before the Lord. Den Hollander said uh, to Larry Nasser, if you want to experience forgiveness, you've got to feel the soul-crushing weight of guilt of what you've done. You've got to experience that first so that you can lay it to God and repent. No more, well, if they would have just... Or, well, you know, if they weren't so, or if he hadn't have, or if she hadn't have, no more of that. You have to say, I hurt someone made in the image of God. Lay it bare. No more blame shifting. Admit your guilt. And just like Larry Nassar, Den Hollander Hollander was right. He cannot experience forgiveness until he feels the crushing weight of what he's done to others. But then the scriptures tell us, though, in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from some unrighteousness. No. To cleanse us from a good deal of unrighteousness. No. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what, church? All. All unrighteousness perhaps you're sitting here today and you've got a child that you don't speak to because you've caused hurt or you are going through a divorce or you've been through a divorce because of hurt you have caused or you've lost a friendship because of pain you have caused and you've got trouble living with yourself bring it before the Lord he is faithful and just to forgive you And you may still have to live with the consequences, but you don't have to carry the shame because He's faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then another step you must take when you've hurt someone is take appropriate action, key word appropriate, to make amends for the hurt that you've caused. Romans 12, 18, If possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. See, making amends is important when you've hurt someone. And that can mean different things in different situations. Sometimes it means you reach out to the person and you work to reconcile the relationship. If the relationship can be mended. Other times, perhaps the hurt you've caused is so painful that it reconnecting with the person you've hurt would be too much for them and would cause more hurt. And it's best to make amends from a distance. Or perhaps you've hurt someone that is no longer with us. What do you, how do you make amends in those situations? John Baker, who's the founder of Celebrate Recovery, which meets on Monday nights at the Crossroads Community Center at 6.30. If this sermon at all is rattling you, then you ought to be at Celebrate Recovery on Monday night. John Baker says that one of the ways we can make amends with those that we've hurt when it might be too painful to actually reach out to them is he suggests an empty chair or writing a letter and not mailing it. Having an empty chair and just pretending as if the person you've hurt is there and just telling them figuratively all that you've done and asking for their forgiveness and then releasing the shame that you're holding on to. And in both cases, whether you've been hurt or whether you've hurt someone, the most important step in healing, and this is our final point, is to take your pain to Jesus. See, Jesus knows exactly what it feels like to be betrayed. He knows. In fact, It was just before Jesus was crucified that he quoted this psalm as he was washing Judas' feet. John 13, 18, Jesus is on his knees washing 
Judas Iscariot's feet. And he says, the scripture will be fulfilled. And he quotes Psalm 41. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Jesus knew the pain of hurt. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed by someone who you love deeply. See, Jesus was betrayed not with a stab in the back, but with a kiss on the cheek. And when Jesus was taken to be beaten and mocked and crucified, you know what words were on his lips the entire time? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. As we were betraying him, as we were shouting, crucify him, and begging for an insurrectionist murderer, Barabbas, to be free in his place so that Jesus could be mocked and beaten and tortured and crucified, executed publicly on a cross. And while all of that was happening, the Apostle Peter says he was reviled, but he did not revile back. He was threatened, but he uttered no threats. Listen, when you've been hurt and you go, I don't have the strength to forgive what they've done to me. Look to Jesus. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he knew your name. He knew that you would rebel against him. He knew that you would often be ashamed of him and deny him. He knew that you would run from him. And yet he stayed on the cross out of his love for you. He knew you would betray him. Yet he died for you anyway. The Bible calls us the bride of Christ. And we sure are an unfaithful, adulterous bride sometimes, aren't we? But Jesus, our groom, never leaves us. He stays committed to us. And when you have experienced pain, remember that Jesus has experienced it too. And when you can't find the strength to heal or forgive, look to Jesus who has forgiven us at the cost of his own life. Where's the amen? Amen? And listen, if you've hurt someone and you have trouble living with yourself, just remember, Jesus offers forgiveness. David said it perfectly in Psalm 55. No matter what you've done, who you've hurt, the shame and the pain and the hurt you've caused and the guilt you carry, Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Pray with me, church.